You are listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, York Region. For more information, visit hbcyr.ca. Well, good morning. Let's get our Bibles out this morning and turn to Galatians chapter 6. Uh, Galatians chapter 6, as we continue in our series, A Messy Church. Uh, The reason the church is messy is because you're in it and because I'm in it. And uh, it's always going to be like that. No, no different than any other relationship that you have with a friend or with your spouse. There's, there's times when it's messy and, and the church is, is messy work. And yet the church is God's idea. It was his plan. And we need to make sure that we stay in it and under it and uh, be uh, abiding together in the body of Jesus Christ. As we've been looking at the series, Messy Church, we started out with a message entitled, In It Together. And uh, the church needs all of us. There's nobody who can not be a part of it. Um, as we are followers of Jesus Christ, we're all in the universal church, but we all need to be part of a, a local church as well. And so we started out with in it together. Then we took a look at what is the church in a message that we called His Church, done His way uh, for His glory. Um, and then last week, we took a look at a message, the church in the world, and how what we are doing and what we believe and what we're trusting is so counterculture. It, it goes against everything that the world seems to think is important. Now, we need to be culturally relevant, but we will always be a counterculture in what we're called to. And today, we take a look at a message that's really about the sanctification of the church, the imperfect being perfected. Uh, You've heard me say in our own walk and the way we grow up in Jesus Christ, we're not what we're going to be. We're not even what we should be. If any of us were honest with ourselves, we would say, for sure, we're not what we're going to be. Uh, But we're not even what we should be. But for sure, we aren't what we used to be. Uh, We've been saved. If you've put your faith and trust in Christ and you're growing up in Christ and not what we will be, not even what we should be, but certainly not what we were. And and we want to see that about the church as well as we watch how God works in us and grows us up together. So you got your Bibles open, I trust. Let's stand together. We want to honor God as we read his word. Galatians chapter 6, I'm going to read verses 1 through 10. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourselves, lest you be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who was taught the word share all the good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, we have opportunity, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word that we hold in our hands. It is trustworthy. It focuses us towards Jesus Christ. It is sufficient for what we need. And so, Lord, I pray that you would give us ears to hear your word today and through the power of your spirit, minds that we might understand. And then, God, that you would give us hearts that we would passionately live out what you've called us to in Jesus Christ. So guide us in your word. Be the strength we need. And, Father, would you um, give us a willingness, a willingness 
to be conformed to the image of our Savior, Jesus Christ. We pray these things in his name. Amen. Amen. Thank you. You can take your seats. And let's dive again right into the text. In verse 1, he starts out by saying, brothers. The very first word in the text is brothers. So who is he talking to? Well, he's talking to the followers of Jesus Christ that were in Galatia specifically. It was a church that had some struggles. They had been saved. These people were growing, but people were coming in and teaching some false teaching. And uh, some of that he's been correcting through the book. And so as he comes to chapter six, there's this reminder, brothers. And so he says that so that we would understand that everything he's about to say is for the followers of Jesus Christ. And so can we all agree that this message was for that church and therefore the clarity of it and what we need to hear, it's for us. And nobody in this room who's a follower of Jesus Christ is exempt from this message. He calls us out a little bit. He goes, brothers, it's like one of those sit up, take note, because I've got some things I need to say to you. And that's how he starts this out by saying, brothers, today we want to take a look at four things out of the text as we consider, consider being a church, imperfect, but being perfected. Here's the first thing, the imperfect, the, imperf the imperfect being perfected it deals with sin. Uh, that's how we do this. As we take a look at the very first verse, he says, brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. And so he starts out, brothers, if anyone, if anyone, and so anyone includes everyone. And so what he's about to say, it could be you. It could be me. If anyone, no one is exempt from the possibilities of what he's going to talk about here. So if anyone, we're only two or three good decisions away from being in a very bad place in our lives. We stop reading the word. We stop getting on our knees before the Lord in prayer. We stop being involved in small group. We stop coming to church on a regular basis. And all of a sudden we find things happening in our lives that we never thought would happen in our lives before. The priority of the Lord, the priority of the word is changed. And it can happen to anyone, if anyone. So brothers, if anyone... If anyone is caught or caught up in any transgression, and so this idea of getting caught up in a transgression is not a picture of someone who is deliberately, willfully sinning. They've just gone off the rails and they are, if that's you in this church, um, the, the things we're going to say apply to you, but that's not who he's talking about. He's talking about the person who was doing so well. And Paul says in another text, who cut in on you? What cut in on you? You were doing well and you got caught or caught up in some transgression. Uh, maybe it's a moral failure. Or maybe it's the way you're dealing with your business. Or maybe it's your thoughts about pride and arrogance and thinking more highly of yourself than you should. Brothers, if anyone is caught or caught up in, in any transgression, well, so we're talking about sin and how does it get found out? And so because there are going to be some things for us to, to deal with and some action plan for us as a church coming out of this message. And so... How do we find out about somebody who's caught up in a transgression? And really, I think there's two major ways that uh, that happens. It can happen through conviction. Um, there was a lady who was here last night, and she came and prayed with Sue and I and um, uh, some, some things in her life. And uh, she's caught up in, and it's sinful. 
And as I was preaching, she was getting more and more convicted about it. And so now she's brought that to light and we're going to see, but now we have to deal with that. And so if anyone's caught up in any transgression, you could be caught up and, and the reason it gets exposed is because the Lord spurs in you a, a conviction in you and you come to a place of brokenness. I've, I've got to get this right. That's, that's one way. That's an amazing way when that happens. Quite often it doesn't happen like that. Quite often it happens because you get caught. You get caught. Uh, something comes to light. Something is revealed. And either through circumstances or people that are just watching you, they can see. And then one day somebody comes up beside you and says, brother or sister, believe me, I'm not perfect, but I can see some things in your life. And, um, and you're caught. And, and, and you need to deal with it. And that could be anybody in the room. And we all realize that it could be us. And so because we realize that, we want to be very careful how we respond to people when they find themselves in that kind of a situation. And so in the text, he goes on, he says, if anyone is caught up or caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual, restore him in a spirit, in a spirit of gentleness. Okay, so who's supposed to deal with these kind of things in a person's life? Well, the super spiritual people, the people who have no problems of their own, the people who've arrived in their sanctification. Really? Uh-uh, there's nobody that's there. None of us are qualified if that's the qualification. He's not talking about that. He's not talking about, well, oh, the perfect people in the church. If you think you're that person, you just got caught up in something. We need to have a different kind of discussion. You who are spiritual, you who are caring, you who are loving, you maybe who have a little bit more spilt milk in life because you've been down the path a little bit further, you who know the word, you who are spiritual, you don't ever get on your high horse thinking you're spiritual. This is not a verse that's like, oh, that must be the elders. It's the elder's job. It has nothing to do with elders, although they should be the spiritual. This has to do with all of us and how we act as the church, this imperfect church being perfected, dealing with sin. You who are more mature, then he goes on and he says, you who are more mature, you should restore him or her. You should restore him or her. See, the goal of dealing with someone who has sin in their life that's been revealed is always restoration. Always. That's always the goal you're going for. Now, there needs to be an understanding. There needs to be an owning of the sin. There needs to be repentance. There needs to, all of that needs to happen. But, but the goal behind all of it is so that our relationship would be restored. You who are spiritual have a responsibility to restore such a person. I think the church in general has done pretty well when people sin at trying to shoo them out the door. If we could make that problem go somewhere else so we don't have to deal with it, that's not the goal at all. This church is filled with people who are sinners and there's no enduring relationships without forgiveness. So all of us are the possibility to be the person who has sinned in this situation, and all of us can be the person who is spiritual, who can restore in this. You who are spiritual should restore. Ephesians 4.32 says, Be kind to one another, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, as God in Christ forgave you. How many times? How many times have you gone to the well with the Lord? And it needed restoration. 
and you came in confession. If we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us and cleanse us from all and all kinds of unrighteousness. How many dozens and hundreds and hundreds of times have you gone to the Lord and you've been restored? See, that's the spirit. That's what we need to be going for. Not how do I set you aside, not how do I whip you, not how do I go, how did you ever get to that mess, but, but rather coming with love and the truth for the purpose to restore just like Christ restored you. Just like Christ forgave you. At the end of the service, we're gonna have communion. Do this in remembrance of me. In remembrance of what? In remembrance of the payment Christ made so you could have eternal life. So that you never forget what Christ has accomplished for you. See, it's an amazing story. The working of Jesus Christ coming to pay, to pay a price that you and I couldn't pay, to pay a debt that there's no way we could manage, and we were separated from God, we couldn't fix the problem, and the Lord Jesus Christ came and he reconciled us, and when we trust Jesus Christ as our Savior, the relationship with him is restored. That's what you go after every time you come alongside a follower of Jesus Christ who has sinned. It's like just as Christ has forgiven me, we need to forgive each other and we need to help each other. We need to spur each other on to love and good deeds. We need to be doing all of those things in a spirit of gentleness, in a spirit of gentleness. You know, we have small groups in our church and we have accountability in our, our church. And I've said this before, accountability isn't, aha, you got caught. Accountability is we're in this together. And how do we walk with each other? And how do we help each other? And it all, for the followers of Jesus Christ in the room, it all comes down to what Jesus Christ did for you. You frame every day out of your life for I didn't deserve any of this. God has given it all to me in his grace and his mercy. He is so tender to me and so loving to me. That's how I need to be with other people, especially those who find themselves caught in a transgression. See, if you're in the room and you've never trusted Christ, that might sound like a bit of a foreign language to you. This is the reality of what Jesus Christ did in the gospel when he shed his blood to be the payment to satisfy the wrath of God. And then he offered the gift of eternal life to you. And the Bible says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you'll be saved. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. God did it all for us. And you put your faith and trust. You transfer your trust to, I thought I was in a good place. I would stand before God one day. I'd be okay. There's none righteous, no, not one. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We're gonna stand before God one day. And if you think the you plan is a good plan to stand before God, it's a terrible plan. He's gonna say, sorry, I never knew you. I'm gonna stand before God one day and he's gonna say, why should I let you into my heaven? And the answer is because I'm with him because of who Jesus Christ is, because of what he did. I have no right to be standing here at all, at all except for what Jesus Christ did for me. You've never trusted Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus today and the work that he has done and be saved. And every follower of Jesus Christ, every day, go back and remember that work. Remember what God did. And when you come up against the person who needs help, who needs your support, needs your encouragement, Never forget that work. The imperfect being perfected by dealing with sin. Here's the second thing. The imperfect being perfected by searching your own heart. Look what he goes to next in the end of verse one and verse two. He says this, keep watch on yourself lest you be tempted. You be careful 
Because you could be the person, bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ, lest you be tempted. It says, bear one another burdens, and by doing it, you'll fulfill the law of Christ. We'll come back to the bearing burdens in a second. So what does it mean to fulfill the law of Christ? Well, lots of discussion about that, and ultimately, um, it's fulfill the word of God. In a very general sense, the law of Christ is everything that the word of God teaches. The, the word all points towards Jesus Christ and our restoration and his work. So in that sense, uh, that would be the law of Christ. Uh, the Bible uh, goes on and it says, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. That, that's the law of Christ. What's the greatest commandment? Uh, and Jesus said in John 13, 34 and 35, a new commandment. Okay, well, there's something. The law of Christ, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. This is how people will know you're saved by the way you love each other, which is a really cool thing when you think back to what the first part of that very verse says. It says, by bearing one another's burdens. What would Jesus do when a person is struggling, when a person is hurting? In the illustration in the first part of the text, when the, first person, when the person is caught up in sin, now, what did Jesus do and what would he have us do? See, it says there that we are to bear one another's burden. Now, that word is the idea of sagging under a load that is just too great for us. And before I put a couple pictures up on the screen of what that might look like, I, I want you to understand something. That this text is talking about how we are to bear one another's burdens. It's not supposed to be we get ourselves in a place where we're running around looking for people to bear our burden, okay? So he's saying bear one another's burden. You ever feel like you've got a load that's too heavy, you can't carry it anymore, you couldn't get your feet on the ground with this if your life depended on it? Your life feels like this picture. This is just how you feel in your life. I got this burden, I can't figure it out, I can't carry this, I'm not getting it. My wheels are spinning, as it were, and uh, I can't get anywhere. It's too big a burden. Okay, on a more serious note, the picture probably looks more like this, and you're carrying this burden, and you're carrying it alone, and it's too much for you. And Paul says to them, bear one another's burden. That thing that's too much when you get in so deep, it's just too much. You think you're going to crack. We're supposed to come along each side and bear each other's burden. Obviously, in the text, it starts out if someone's carrying a load of sin and that needs to be carried, we're to come alongside. We're to spur them on to love and good deeds. We're to help them in a spirit of gentleness. That's how we're supposed to carry a burden. But maybe it's somebody who just got a doctor's report and they found out it's not good news for them. and They don't know how many days or weeks they're going to have left. And you need to come alongside because the burden's too much for them. Maybe it's news about a job that you didn't get or you had and is now gone and you don't know what's going to, and you know about that in someone's life. You need to come alongside and you don't need to ask the church if you should come alongside. You don't need to even pray about whether you should come alongside. You just need to get in there and help because that's what we're called to do. The imperfect being perfected by searching our own hearts and bearing one another's burdens, it's hard work. It's hard work, but we're called to it as we are the imperfect church being perfected, being made more like Jesus Christ every day. 
So we start out with dealing with sin in the text. We see this section here of search your heart about some things, and, and then the next part really goes further with that. The imperfect being perfected by exposing self-righteousness. I'm going to read verses 3 to 8 again. It says, For if anyone thinks he's something when he's nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who's taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. If anyone thinks he's something, when he is nothing, he deceives himself. This is not a verse about false humility. This is not a verse about, like, you're really nothing. You're nothing. You're nothing. It's not what he's saying at all. He's not talking about it. He's talking about the other side of the coin. Be careful what you think about yourself. Be careful how highly you think about yourself. Pride prevents us from bearing one another's burdens and fulfilling the law of Christ. It's often pride that keeps us from ministering to one another as we should because we think we're something. Now, I don't have to deal with that person. They're not in my socioeconomic strata. They're not in my sphere of influence. They're not in my, and we're like, I'm off the hook on this. Oh, no, we're not. Be careful how you think about yourself. Who do you think you are? I read this quote this week. It went like this. Pride doesn't necessarily say I'm better than you. Pride simply says I'm more important than you are. So I deserve more of my own attention and more of my own love than you do. Biblical humility tells us, I am no more important than you are. Let us care about each other's burdens. If I esteem you more highly than myself and you esteem me more highly than yourself, the church will turn upside down. If we stop thinking about what I deserve and what I have and what I want and start thinking about who you are and what Christ wants for you, as I do that, God will do a work as we do that together. God will revolutionize the work that happens in our church. Philippians 2, 3, and 4 says, Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit. In humility, count others more significant than yourself. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. If anyone thinks more highly of himself, he, he deceives himself. A few things are more deceptive than pride. When you think you're something, when you think you deserve something, and you deceive yourself. You know, probably few things um, make people more angry than when they're deceived. Somebody tricked you. They deceived you. And you know how upset you can be about that. Well, don't be deceiving yourself, thinking you're something when you're nothing, and, and the Lord has to bring you to a kind of brokenness in your life that you ne never imagined would be necessary for you. It helps to explain the great deception of the greatest deceiver, Satan himself. Deceived himself. He thinks he's something before God. He thought he had it all together. And now he seeks to deceive us. If anyone thinks he's something, when he's nothing, he deceives himself. He deceives himself. You hypocrite, Matthew 7, 5 says, first take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your 
your brother's eye. When verse 4, he goes on, he says, but let, let each one test his own work. Take a look at your own self. Take a look at your own heart. Take a look at your own motives. And why do you do the things that you do? Do you do them so you're exalted, so you're lifted up, or do you do them so that the Lord is lifted up, so that he's glorified? And I'm not just talking about when you serve in Awana or Harvest Kids or Haya or youth ministry or as a small group leader. We can get caught up in pride in those things. Look, look, look what I'm doing. No, test your own heart. Look at your own heart. But do those same things in your workplace. Why do I do the things I do? Why do I say, why do I act the way I act at home? We are to test but let each one test his own work. Examine it. Examine it. Now, the next part of the verse is interesting to me, and it says, and then his reason to boast will be in himself. Really? We're supposed to boast about ourselves? Look at me. Is that really what the verse is saying? No, it's not really what the verse is saying at all. It's a verse that's talking about get your eyes off of comparing yourself to other people because it's easy to boast about yourself when all you have to do is get the bar above the lowest common denominator you can find. And you're like, my brother, like that guy's like just one step above useless, so I'm better than him. Look at me boast at myself, not my own brother. That was an illustration. Okay. Or, or uh, look what I do in the workplace and I'm so much better than everyone else. And so it's easy to boast when you set the bar so low that, a, that an ant could jump over it. But rather, set those things aside and compare your life to what it looks like in humility in Jesus Christ. And as you're growing, as you're finding your joy in the Lord, as you're finding your strength in Him, then that confidence, that's this boasting here, that confidence that you have, that security that you have, you should have that and you should rejoice in that because of what Christ is doing in you, because of the way that He's working. Look what it says in verse 5. For each of you will have to bear his own load. So back in the uh, verse, in verse 2, it says, bear one another's burden. And here it says, we have to bear our own load. And in verse, the first verse, it was a thing that was just way too big to manage. The word is a different word here. I got a picture that will kind of demonstrate what that picture is. It's this picture. It's like, you got to carry your own knapsack. You got to deal with your own stuff. Don't expect people to do the things that you're supposed to do on your own. Your own growth in Christ, your own dealing with your walk, your own examining yourself. Now that's the backpack you're called to carry. And so we don't push that off on anyone else. But rather we bear our own load. The things that come and, and how do we learn to trust the Lord in them and to walk faithfully. And so he says, hey church, and bear your own load. You have, to carry your own, you have to carry your own burden. And then he goes on in verse 6, and he says, the one who is taught, the one who is taught the word, shares all good things with the one who teaches. The one who's taught shares all good things with the one who teaches. So the one who puts their time and their talent and their treasure and their knowledge and their experience, and the one who's pouring all of those things into your life, that person needs to be blessed. That person needs to be encouraged. That person needs to be spurred on. Let the one who was taught the word share in all good things with the one who teaches. And we need to be a church about generosity with each other. This is not a verse primarily about the way you're supposed to treat the pastor. 
It might, that's a, that is an application of it, but it goes way past that. This goes to how do you treat the other elders? How do you treat the ministry leaders? How do you treat the person who leads your small group? How do you treat the people who serve your kids in Awana or Harvest Kids or in Harvest Youth? How do you treat the one who's your small group leader in men's or women's or young adult? How do we, how do we bless on them? How do we pour out the blessing on them? Those who are doing a good work, we're called to be encouraging and pouring into and blessing and so please, after the service, I don't want you to come up and go, oh, pastor, pastor, we just want to bless you. We just want to bless you because I know that's going away in about 10 minutes, okay? So, but here's what you could do. You could bless your small group leader or the flock leader. You could bless the Iwana workers or the Haya workers or the whoever it is, the one who's pouring into you, giving thanks for the good work that they're doing. And sometimes you're on both sides of that equation. Many of you are. You are taking the word and you're investing it and you're being a blessing to others. In verses 7 and, he eight, and, seven and 8, then he lays out a big warning for them. He says, uh, don't be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, he will also reap. For the one who sows is his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption, but the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. Now remember, in this church, there were some problems going on. People were trying to add the law back into the church. And so these people are under grace, and they're trying to put circumcision back in. They're trying to put the law back on these people. And, and so there's a great big warning that's going on here. But that's true of each of us. We talk about here proclaiming the authority of God's word without apology, one of our pillars in our church. Now, people sometimes say to me, does, does it make you nervous to get up in front of, I don't know, 380 people? Not really anymore. You just do it all the time, right? It's kind of what you do all the time. You are school teachers. You get up in front of your class every day. You just do it every day. So, so standing in front of you, although some of you are a little scary to look at, but standing in front of you doesn't make me nervous. What makes me nervous is I'm going to open God's word and I'm going to teach God's word and I better teach it right because I'm going to be accountable for it. And so the warning there that's for me is for every one of us in the church that takes God's word and uses it. Now don't be afraid of that. Be confident in God's word, but make sure we teach God's word. My opinion really doesn't matter that much. My thoughts on the subject really don't matter that much if they're not coming from God's word. And so he says in the text, don't be deceived. God will not be mocked. He's not going to be mocked by people who are false teachers. He's not going to be mocked by people who turn up their nose to the word. He's not going to be mocked by people who deny their sin. He's not going to be mocked by people who willfully sin. There will be judgment. It will come. So don't be deceived. God is not, he is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he reap. The one who slows to his own flesh, those things of sinfulness and wrong teaching, they'll reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit, we're from the Spirit, reap eternal life. See, that's what we're after. That's what we're going for. That's the priority. Not for this world. It's not what we get out of it now. It's what God's doing and how he's working in us and the transformation that's happening in our lives. The imperfect being perfected by exposing self-righteousness. In 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 14, it says, according to the grace of God given to me, 
Like a skilled master builder, I lay a foundation and someone else is building upon it. Let each one take care how he builds upon it for no one can lay a foundation other than that which is laid, which is Jesus Christ. That's it. That's the one foundation. Anybody tries to add anything else to the foundation is not, is not in the word. There's one foundation, Jesus Christ. Now, if anyone builds on the foundation with gold and silver, precious stones, wood, hay, straw, lots of different possibilities, each one's work will become manifest for the day will disclose it because it'll all be revealed by fire and the fire will test what sort of work each one has done. If the work that anyone was, has built on the foundation survives, he will receive a reward. The imperfect being perfected by dealing with sin, the imperfect being perfected by searching our hearts, the imperfect being perfected by exposing self-righteousness and a heart that's not for God. And then um, here's the last one, the imperfect being perfected by persisting in service, by persisting in service. And look what he says in uh, verse nine. And let us not grow weary of doing good for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. It's interesting. He's really been focusing the text up until this part on them. It's from Paul out to them. But now he turns it and he includes himself in the text. He's not saying, so he's saying, I'm, I'm, all this stuff isn't just for you and not for me. So I'm included in this as well. And so as I stand here as the pastor and preach the message, it's not just, okay, I got some stuff loaded in my gun for the people today. They better get it. This is for me too. And just as it was for him too. And so in verse eight, he says this, and let us not, let us not grow weary of doing good. Let us not grow weary of doing good. Growing weary means we lean in and we don't quit. You can probably, all of you who are followers of Jesus Christ, you can think of other people who didn't give up on you. Are they, humanly speaking, they should have given up on you a long time ago, but they didn't and they're faithful. Now, some of you have a moms and dads in the room or not in the room, and, and you're thinking, man, if they really knew, they would have given up on me, and they didn't. If you can't think of anyone, and you're a follower of Jesus Christ, he didn't give up on you, and he doesn't give up on you. And let us not grow weary of doing good we're not going to grow weary of it. We're going to keep doing good. Now, the word here in doing good is, is more than just about being busy. Lots of people get too busy in their life. I can be too busy in my life. And Sue goes, why did you put that on your agenda for this week? And I'm like, well, there was a little spot between those two events. I could, I could put it in there. Busyness does not equal godliness. Doing good so, so what are things that would be demonstrating how we're doing good? Well, there are things that are done out of true faith. I do them out of faith. I don't necessarily need to do more things. I need to do the right things. I need to be motivated by my faith. I do things that conform to God's law. Probably most of us do pretty well at that. We're not doing things that we think are good that go outside of God's word, but that's a standard. And, but here's the last one. Doing good is doing the things that bring glory to God. And so the way you do the thing, somebody else in the world could be doing it as well, but you're doing it for the glory of God. Don't grow weary as you are doing good. Then look what he says. 
For in due season, we will reap if we don't give up. There will be a blessing that will come if you don't give up. Now, your problem with that verse is the same thing as my problem with that verse, and that is, I want that right now. I want to make my investment. I want to see the return on investment, and I want it now. Again, think about the investment the Lord Jesus Christ makes in your life and what's his return on investment looking like, okay? In due season, in God's time, when he thinks it's right, we'll reap. We'll see the blessing poured out. And sometimes, and lots of times, we see it on this side of heaven. And sometimes it might be on the other side when we're in heaven and we'll see the blessing of what God's allowed to happen through us. But he says to them, hey church, you don't give up. You keep on going because in due season you will reap. When the time is ripe, you will reap. No instant gratification here, but rather looking for a well done, good and faithful servant, you will reap in due season if you don't give up. Well, we finish our message with a so then today. Uh, you'll notice uh, in your notes, the word is what with a line through it. I didn't dare take that out of the outline because some people would have thought we'd gone liberal as a church because, uh, Pastor, you finish every message with so what? How can you not finish the message with so what? Okay, so I'm not doing that this week, so get over it. And uh, Well, why, Pastor? Why? We're so used to it. You just always do that. Well, because the verse says, so then. Verse 10, I didn't even have to make that up on my own. It was right there in the text. So I set the what aside, just set that aside, let that go, don't take it too personally, I still love you. But look what he says in verse 10. So then. He says, something's gonna happen here. It's time for us to move forward. We don't get to just come to church and hear a nice message and then do nothing about it. Uh, as a result of all that you've heard, he says, so then. So then as we have opportunity, let us, let us do good to everyone and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So then takes away the option for us. Each one of us as a follower of Jesus Christ has to decide what we're gonna do with God's word today. You can decide to do nothing, but that won't honor the Lord, that won't bring him glory. So then, as each of us has opportunity Okay, well, there's no shortage of opportunities. We all have the same amount of hours in the day. Opportunities are before us all of the time. It might be in your family. It might be with your neighbor. It might be in your church. It might be wherever it is. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good. Let us do things that come from faith, that are supported by the word of God. Let us do things that bring glory to God. Let us do good. Let's, let's um, hey, how about that person who's caught up in a transgression? I'm going to come alongside. I'm going to bear their burden with them. I'm going to help them. That load is too big for them. That person who just got a report from the doctor and they got three months to live or six months to live. That person who just lost their job and they don't know how they're going to make ends meet. I'm going to step into that, Lord. I'm going to be that person. You've given me an opportunity. I'm going to step into it. You know what the thing is the Lord's put on your heart. Then he says this. I love this because he says, um, do good to everyone. Well, who's everyone? Well, everyone's everyone. 
not just inside the church, outside of the church. As the Lord gives opportunity, you be involved in those ministries. You be involved in those outreaches. You be involved in things that can be making an impact on your neighbor. You give a cup of cold water to the person who needs it, to everyone. But then look what he says. He zeroes it right in. And especially to those who are of the household of faith. So it's not that at the neglect of the other, but he says, especially to those who are of the household of faith. People are carrying these burdens. It's too much for them. And we're to try and help them and carry the load. And especially, church, especially to the people who are inside this room, the people who are followers of Jesus Christ, the people whose burdens just so much for them and people are watching them. They're wondering how they're going to make it through tomorrow. And you come alongside and you help to carry their burden. And all of a sudden, people look at them and go, look what the Lord is doing. Look how God is working. I'm more concerned about you than I'm concerned about myself. And so I'm going I'm to bear your burden as I carry my own little knapsack with God's help. And God will work. And he'll transform us. And people will look at us and they'll go, why are you people like that? You love each other. You help each other. And you say, because of who Jesus is, because of his faithfulness, because he carried my burden. I carry my brother's burden. And as God gives me opportunity, I'm going to do good for the glory of God, for the fame of our Savior. The imperfect being perfected. Not what I will be. Not even yet what I should be but not what I was. And by God's grace, step by step, moving forward for the glory of my Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word, the power that is in it, and the strength that comes from it. I pray, Lord, that you would stir in us. It would be so easy to set this aside after we have communion and forget about it. And, but Lord, you've laid some things on our heart as we've heard the word today. Make us doers of the word and not hearers only. Do this work for your fame. Do this work for your glory. Do this work so that Jesus Christ, the author and finisher of our faith, will be exalted. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.